We would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations as the traditional owners of the land on which the university stands. We respectfully recognise Elders past, present and future. Welcome back to Undercover. This is episode three and I'm your host, Bridget Novak. Today, we are exploring three diverse stories. We'll hear about the way climate change is affecting Australian workplaces, some of the challenges facing the local footwear industry, and about what support is available for young parents in Victoria. As the consequences of climate change intensify, extreme weather events such as flooding, heat waves, and bushfires are becoming more prevalent in the lives of Australians. With the average person spending a third of their lifetime at work, researchers have been keen to understand the way climate impacts show up in Australian workplaces in order to protect quality of life and understand the challenges we face. Lillian Bernhardt has the story. Often we think about climate change as something that's happening in the future, but for workers, there are real impacts here already. That was the voice of Dr Elizabeth Humphreys, political economist from the University of Technology, Sydney. Her work focuses on how climate change and crisis impact workers. I spoke to her regarding a particular area of focus of hers, the impact of heat stress on workers. Heat stress occurs when heat is received at an intolerable excess in the body, leading to adverse physical symptoms. Some of these include dehydration, nausea, dizziness, fatigue and irritability. Heat stress can cause lapses in concentration and reduce decision-making abilities, which can lead to accidents and pose a risk to workers' safety. Heat stress can also develop into heat stroke, which is fatal in 80% of all cases. A third of all heat-related deaths between 1991 and 2018 can be attributed to climate change. Obviously, heat stress has existed forever in Australia, but the question is whether larger groups of workers are experiencing heat stress and whether the amount of heat stress experienced is deeper and likely to cause injury or even death. And climate change is meaning it's a yes to both of those. Dr Humphrey says that industry-wise, outdoor workers, workers who exert themselves physically, and indoor workers lacking access to proper ventilation or air conditioning are most at risk of heat stress. Working environment and conditions and the presence of heat management measures are also factors to consider risk. Social and economic factors also come into play, which impact a worker's ability to protect and advocate for their own safety. Migrant workers, underpaid workers and those with insecure working arrangements are more at risk big factor with thinking about heat stress is can workers take breaks can they drink more water what sort of pressures are they under day-to-day at work and for a lot of the workers we've spoken to particularly low-paid workers and essential workers they really are under enormous pressure day-to-day to work hard to work faster it's really unbearable and difficult in um, high humid temperatures and people need to be able to take breaks and uh, replenish fluids Anna Langford is a climate justice campaigner of the Friends of the Earth and a member of the union Hospo Voice. Ms Langford became involved with environmental and union movements separately to each other, but believes the work of both should be understood to be inseparable. As the impacts of climate change are already making themselves obvious, whatever we can achieve for workers' rights when it comes to pay and conditions will only protect us so much when climate impacts are disrupting every part of our lives. Anna was inspired by personal experiences working in hospitality, where smoke exposure and high heat in her workplace impacted her productivity and overall well-being. 
I'm coordinating this project at Friends of the Earth at the moment called Climate Impacts at Work. And what it is, is a survey of union members across uh, six Victorian unions to understand how workers in different industries are already experiencing the impacts of climate change on the ground in their workplaces. There have been over 1,000 survey respondents so far, but some of the most notable responses for Ms Langford came from members of the Health and Community Services Union, who shared how climate impacts not only affected them as workers, but also their clients, in turn adding more pressure and stress for them in the workplace. An example of this is workers in hospitals and emergency services, who have to respond to increased hospital admissions, which spike during heat waves, due to not only impacts on physical health, but also mental. I've painted a bleak picture, so what are the solutions? Dr Humphreys believes change should start through listening to the experiences of workers and ensuring adequate workplace measures and regulations are in place to protect them. However, she emphasises that this alone will not be enough. Adaption, of course, is not enough. We need to actually get to emissions levels that mean we can start to reverse climate change and that's a really urgent issue. So for me there are two things. One, how can we actually reverse what's going on but some of the temperature rises have already occurred or been locked in and we have to we have to deal with that in the interests of workers not profits. This was Lillian Bernhardt reporting for Undercover. Now to our next story. A 2019 study indicated that over 1.5 million Australians shop for shoes each month. However, the shoe market in Australia isn't meeting demands for Australian-made high-quality footwear. Reporter Erin Visaji took a dive into the industry to explore some of the complexities and challenges, as well as possible solutions. A recent article revealed models in the digital runway partnership between the Melbourne Fashion Festival and the Australia-made campaign walked barefoot in protest of a lack of footwear that conforms to Australian-made standards. This reveals limitations in Australia's footwear industry. For a product to qualify as an Australian-made brand, it must either have materials sourced here, be produced here, or have any other processes done in Australia. Many footwear brands can't meet these standards, partly because of their dependence on China, Vietnam, India and Indonesia. Up to 75% of footwear is made in these countries. So what are some of the reasons why the footwear industry in Australia is dwindling? The creative director of fashion label Victoria and Woods, Margie Wood, says it's due to the cost of labour, skill shortages, machinery shortages and advanced technology shortages. Mary Lou Ryan, who owns the label Bisique, outlined some problems in the industry, including a lack of support from the government and other Australian companies. She suggests government funding, education, automatic machines and technologies as ways to stimulate the industry. The Australian Department of Industry, Science, Energy and Resources, DISA, recently awarded a $100 million grant to allow brands to get a trademark licence. This will help revive Australia's footwear industry and other industries by giving Australian brands more agency to create better products. In a press release, DISA announced an initiative to support the creation of a fashion certification mark for Australia, which will help with the development of more high-quality local products. Claire Best, a Melbourne-based shoemaker and designer, has been making waves in the shoe industry. 
Claire Best owns Claire Best Shoes and creates shoes for theatre productions and previously taught a footwear merchandising course at RMIT University. Claire spoke to us about the challenges the shoemaking industry is facing, including skill shortages, shipping costs and advertising costs. You know, shipping costs a lot more, so that's sort of definitely been noticeable and kind of reflected, I guess, in supply invoices and therefore is a bit of a challenge trying to keep uh, the price point personally experienced some of these challenges, especially when it comes to shipping costs, finding materials in the same colours and notes the education system isn't fully equipped to make affordable footwear making courses. So it kind of works both ways. There are people that sort of maybe want to learn shoemaking, but the, the courses become quite expensive and it's not government subsidised anymore. So it's sort of not recognised as a, I guess there's no sort of apprenticeship is what I'm trying to say, like a formal at the end of our chat, Claire Best also mentioned aspiring shoemakers should take advantage of learning from older shoemakers. With the Australian shoe market needing more support than ever, there are plenty of amazing Australian-based shoe brands that need recognition. There's still a way to go with the revival of the industry, but with passionate shoemakers speaking up and the DISA press releases certification promise, there's hope for the future. This has been Erin Visaji for Undercover. There is a view that young people who have children have less opportunities for the future than their peers who do not. What is crucial in dispelling this myth is providing young parents with resources to continue their studies and transition into the workforce. Alice Siganini spoke to an organisation who have been supporting young parents in Victoria to realise their educational goals. In Victoria, there is scarce information on young parents aged between 14 to 21. The 2021 Dropping Off the Edge Report, a complex investigation into disadvantaged experiences in Australia, provides some insight into the issue. The report found that in the most disadvantaged communities in Victoria, the rate of teen pregnancy is eight times higher than in the most advantaged locations. My name's Mary Trisize Brown and I'm the manager of the Young Parents Programs across southeast regions, so City of Casey, City of Greater Dandenong and Shire of Cardinia. That is the voice of Miss Tressize Brown, who began working at the South East Local Learning Employment Network in 2014, a community-managed regional network interested in helping young adults transition from education into the workforce. I've been working with, uh, it, well, developing programs for young people for over 25 years. The Young Parents Education Program is a branch of this network, providing pregnant and parenting youth with the resources and support to achieve a Victorian Certificate of Applied Learning, also known as the VCAL Certificate. Really uh, responding to where there's a gap in the infrastructure for young people to move easily between 
school, mm-hmm. further education, training, employment, and underemployment includes apprenticeships, traineeships, work placement, work experience, part-time, full-time, etc. Young mothers have an abundance of assistance within this program. While they study with a personal and professional teacher, an on-site support staff member is available to look after their child. The support staff also instructs the young parent how to care for their baby, dedicating time to the child's development as well as the parents. And it really is the basis, the foundational knowledge of caring for a baby, uh, caring for yourself as the parent of the baby, all the things to look for, um, how, to, how to get your baby to sleep well, how to get them to settle, how to look after them, when do you change their nappy, how often do you feed them, what sort of food should I be feeding them now, what sort of play should I be bringing in, all of those things. Um, Not all young parents have good support networks or anybody even that has availability to look after their child so that they can return to school. Mistresses Brown believes that it is important for young parents to have a stable support system. So I travelled the country pretty much uh, working with parents in parent groups and training parents to become facilitators of the program. Mm -hmm. Mistresses Brown hopes the program will promote fluidity between the school system and future employment, encouraging young people to pursue careers that they're interested in. And all of our research indicated that parents were the number one source of um, information and support for young people, so in fact they were the ones that they would go to. And we know that having a place where they can come back to education and they can bring their child with them is really important. But it's also important that it's inclusive and um, young parents are really stigmatised for being a young parent. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what I've been doing is advocating for them and really trying to shift that belief that people have that, um, you know, once this happens to them, their life is sort of come to an end because it hasn't. And there are lots of great opportunities ahead for them. Another champion of young parents is Jo White. At 17, Jo became pregnant with her daughter. After leaving school for a term to have her child, Jo returned to her studies, but there was little resources to support her. While Jo was able to finish her studies, many young parents do not have the support to do so and are often forced to leave. You know, the stigma associated with young pregnancy, but also for young people as well, you know, that can exacerbate depression and have an impact on people's self-esteem. It could also um, affect, you know, personal relationships at a time when these young people really need all the support that they can get. So... Um, It can also impact on people actually reaching out for support if they feel that they're going to be judged. As a social worker, Ms White collaborates with young people often, sharing her experiences and providing them with the resources and support to go back to school. Yeah, look, I think it's it's really important. It, um, It definitely has an impact on quality of life for the parents themselves, but also their children. Um, It creates opportunities, it um, opens up doors, there's an element of financial stability that comes with that as well, being able to work or study um, 
in a profession that um, enables maybe a higher rate of pay. Um, so I think, yeah, being able to remain in education or continue education is, yeah, really valuable and really important. To better transition into the workforce, young parents need to be provided with the resources that best assist them for the future. Whether that be the completion of Year 12 or a skill certificate, each deserve to be supported so that they then can support their own child. If anything, there's more reason to, be, to continue education and to provide a life for themselves, but also their children and their future. You know, even more reason because they have a responsibility, they have a commitment and there's no reason why young parents can't continue their education. As You know, with relevant support, it should be a time where supports are increased rather than, you know, taken away from young people. This is Alice Ganini reporting for Undercover. And that is episode three. Thank you to our talented reporters, Lillian Bernhardt, Aaron Visaggi and Alice Iganini. Thanks also to our episode producer, Sarah Liversidge, and our unfailingly supportive executive producers, Tito Ambio and Bernadette Nunn. And thank you for listening to Undercover. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm happy with that one. Yeah, awesome.